said you were working through James and he asked me to talk this morning about um, the pressure of relationships and particularly from uh, James chapter 5 and I, I, I've been working on it this week and it, <clears throat> it, it, it is, when you first read James 5 it seems a little dis- disparate, um, a little disconnected but the more I've thought about it this week and thought about it in the context of relationships uh, it, it really is a very interesting, very uh, challenging, I think very challenging chapter for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. So I don't know what you guys have been doing, but I thought it might be good just to read the whole chapter 5, okay, together. <clears throat> I'm using the English Standard Version, but I can change if someone has an NIV that they'll lend me for a second. Do what? We're good? Okay. <clears throat> I'm sorry. James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat at your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Amen. <laughs> no. Doesn't stop there, does it? Pretty scary stuff. Be patient, therefore, brothers, and I would say sisters as well, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, and I would say sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and have them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed, any, if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, 
and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And it's there the letter ends rather abruptly. But this chapter is all about relationships, isn't it? I mean, when you really boil it down, it's all about relationships. And I think you'd probably agree with me that relationships are really hard. Are they not? Relationships are really hard. I Not too long ago... Uh, you, yeah, not too long ago, I found myself sitting in my office <clears throat> between um, two young women who somehow had gotten crosswise. Maybe weeks or months beforehand. I I don't, you know, this is years later now. I still don't know what happened. And um, and, and I, I don't know who did what or what, but somewhere something was said or something was thought that they heard somebody say. And, um, and from that point, these two former friends just began, I, I don't know what else to call it, but assassinating each other, you know. Whether it was face-to-face, well, actually, the worst part about it, it was never face-to-face, which is why I found myself sitting in my office between these two women doing what I consider kind of an intervention, you know, and uh, and it might it might have been the last time I've done that too, because um, because it it was not it was not fun. It was not fun at all. Uh, these 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 women, and I you know I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but um, they had talked this thing out with a zillion other people, you know that. In our fellowship, which at the time was was not really really big, you, you know, it was it was beginning to divide the whole place. These two former friends, with their words and their stories, you know, were were in, uh, so I I said, look, you know, I, I'm not even sure what really happened, but I think we need to sit down and. And, and we'll sit, we'll sit down together, you know. And um, neither neither one of them really wanted to do it, but I influenced them. So um, so we're sitting in my office, and and this was in our old campus house. So uh, I, I'm sitting here, and Laura is sitting here, and Robin is sitting here, and uh, we start talking, you know, what what happened, what happened, what happened. You tell your story, you listen to that story, you tell your story, you listen to that story, okay, you know, this happened and it hurt my feelings, and this happened and it hurt my feelings, and this happened and it hurt my feelings, and I heard you said this, and I heard you said that, and you got all these people against me, you got all, okay, 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 so, I mean, there, there's no, and finally I said, okay, you, we understand a little bit what's going on. So, um, 
So as I understand things, what really needs to happen now is uh, we need to forgive each other. And um, Laura, who, who had been a Christian longer than Robin, Robin was a relatively new Christian, but Laura started and said, Robin, I, I am really sorry. You know, I, I did this, I said that. You know, I confess to you these things, and, and I don't know what happened, but uh, I love you, and, um, and I, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me for all these things. I mean, it was beautiful. I thought I was a genius, you know? <laughs> I thought I was up for, for, like, counselor of the year or something, right? And I'll, I'll never forget, Robin sat, she heard all this, and she sat here silently, and um, she said, there's absolutely no way I'll ever forgive you. And I was like, Robin, now, now really, seriously, you know? And she said, no, there's absolutely no way I can ever forgive her for the things that she said and the things that she did. I was like, come on now, you know, none of us are perfect, and, you know, we all, she's like, I don't, I don't care, I don't care, and then, then being, you know, a man of God, I pulled out the big guns, Jesus says, right, Jesus says at the end, I don't, I don't know if you guys realize this, at the end of the Lord's prayer section in Matthew, it says, for if we forgive people when they sin against us, then we'll be forgiven. But if we don't forgive those who sin against us, then our Father in heaven won't forgive us either. So I pulled that one out. Man, I nailed her on that. And I'll never forget, she, she looked at me with this strange look and said, you know what? I don't give up what that Bible says. I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive her. And it was over. That was that. I said, well, I guess right now we don't have anything else to talk about. And if you want to talk about it more, we can. Relationships are hard, aren't they? Relationships are really hard. And, and even worse, maybe not worse, but harder, is trying to do the right thing when they're hard. I don't care what the Scripture says. I'm not going to forgive her. And, 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 you know, on one level for me, it's, I mean, it's obviously a tragic story, uh, on one level, for me, it's it's almost comical, you know, when you really think about the whole thing. But um, but my experience tells me that um, that Robin, as much as as we might say, you know, that's disobedient or obstinate or rebellious. That's lots of times most of us, isn't it? My wife and I have been married uh, 26 years. I, I, when I was writing this, I thought, oh, we've been married 25 years, but that was a, couple, that was a year ago. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. 
I was talking with some students who are just getting married, uh, some guys that are going to get married within the next six months or a year. And, and, they were, and then there was this guy in this small group with us that said, well, we've been, I, I have my, me and my girlfriend been dating six, six months. It's our, what do you call a six-month anniversary? It can't be an anniversary, can it? The six-month anniversary. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, you sound like such a girl. <laughs> and uh, and um, so... Uh, I forget where I was going with that. Oh, so so I I've been married 26 years. My wife's amazing, um, and uh, I know what I was going to say about that is I tend to remember most of my I told this kid I, I remember most of my anniversaries like two days beforehand, maybe a day beforehand. I haven't forgotten one, but I knew we were married 25 years because it was kind of a big one. So I actually planned something for that. But uh, so we've been married 25 years. I've, I've performed almost 100 weddings. I've done two funerals. I've, I've performed 100 weddings. But, um, and, and one thing I'm sure of, that uh, some, sometimes being married is really hard, right? Will anyone admit that? I know we're not supposed to admit. We're not supposed to admit things like that in church. You know, we're all supposed to be happy and everything's great. Our marriages are all, but sometimes it's really hard. It's hard to keep going, isn't it? Sorry, I hate to burst your bubble, kids. It's hard to keep doing the next right thing, the next good thing. It's hard to keep telling that person that you love them and to act like you love them when, when sometimes you don't feel like you love them, Right? When you're hurt, when you're angry, I was I was thinking this week. It it really is something I think of a miracle, right? That as many people stay married, that as many people as do, <laughs> it's amazing marriages survive, right? Any marriages survive. They uh, lots lots don't make them anymore. Uh, make it anymore. Twenty seven. I don't know if you guys realize this or not. You probably heard this somewhere. Uh, on percentage wise, of all the people that are married in in our U.S. today, twenty five percent of those marriages are going to end in divorce. That's on average about twenty five percent of marriages end on in divorce. It's not the fifty percent thing. You know, they throw that statistic around. Literally, it's 20, 25%. What's, what's really tragic, tragic, I think, is that um, among evangelical Christians, the divorce rate's about 27%. Because marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. They're hard work sometimes, and especially when things don't go the way that you thought or hoped they would, Right? Especially when the other person does something that's deeply hurtful. And let's face it, sometimes the closer you are to people, the easier it is to be really hurtful. Right? Especially when what, what, what the other person does is deeply disappointing. Or, or just flat out callously inconsiderate. 
And you don't have to be married to experience those kind of hurts, do you? You ever had a friend stab you in the back? Ever told a deep secret to someone that you thought was a trusted confidant? Only to hear it circulating out in the gossip world? You ever had someone that that you thought would be there for you when you really needed them? Who wasn't? Or think that someone cared for you and then something happens that, that makes it really clear that they only really, really care about themselves. Relationships are hard. So what do you do with all that stuff? What do you do with all that? What do you do with the frustration and the inflicted hurts and disappointments, whether they were purposely done or not? What do you do with all the unresolved injustices that people, friends or your kids or your spouses, the people in the world around you who you thought were with you or for you or supposed to love you and care for you, don't. What do you do with all that stuff? James chapter 5, I think, is really interesting. Uh, a, a really interesting ending to this pastoral letter. And I think he has some great insight and some needed reminders for all of us, but especially for those of us who claim to follow Jesus. Because this letter was written to Christians. It was a letter that was sent to the churches, so it was copied and then on a, in church on Sunday morning, or whenever they had their gathering, someone would stand up and say, hey, we got a letter from James, and he'd just read through the whole thing. And James brings it down to this last chapter, and he begins this last chapter with a section that you have to admit sounds like something out of Isaiah, right? Sounds like one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Weep and wail and mourn. You rich people. Weep and wail and mourn. You've lived in luxury and in abundance while your neighbors are naked and starving. And if that callous disregard for the people around you and the conditions of the people around you were not bad enough, you are directly responsible. You have inflicted that suffering on the poor by unjustly paying them less than their fair wages. You've gotten rich at other people's expense. Your servants' expenses. You've kept it for yourselves. And let me tell you, James says, your riches, with all these poor people around you, your riches are evidence against you. You, 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 not only are they not going to save you, not only can you not take them with them, take them with you, but they are going to stand in evidence against you in the day of the Lord. It's, it sounds like MSNBC, doesn't it? I mean, seriously. When I thought when I thought about this, I thought of Rachel Maddow. You know? But it isn't her. 
It isn't some liberal, you know, political commentator or a liberal politician. This is James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this to Christians, some of whom might have had some wealth. And you know, in Jesus' day, wealth was abundant food. It wasn't like multiple cars or multiple houses. It was abundant food. It was, it was clothes. It was, it, it was maybe some gold or silver, precious metals of some kind. That, that was wealth for them. And he's, you know, I was thinking about, you know, if this is written to a church like Huntsville, right? And so we're standing up and reading this. And, um, and I, I just have this picture in my head because most of the people in Jesus' time were dirt poor. I mean, they, they were literally dirt poor, lived in dirt poor kind of stuff, scrounging for enough food to eat and to, and to pay taxes to, to Caesar and pay taxes to the temple. and uh, it, was, it was nothing. They had nothing. But some people, some people probably had something. And, and, I, and I'm imagining sitting in a group of people like that, and you know James launches into this invective against these people, and I, I imagine some folks in that Christian audience we're lo- thinking about their Christian brothers and sisters who have all kinds of stuff, and it's like, yeah, you get them, right? Yeah, I told you, kind of stuff, nodding their heads, right? It's unfair. They are guilty. So stick it to them. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. I thought of I thought of how, you know, lots of us reacted when when the whole um Wall Street collapse happened several years ago. MSNBC, <laughs> you know, I mentioned them. Man, they hate Wall Street bankers. Wall Street bankers that wantonly played with financial instruments that ended up costing us, some of you, your retirement. That in a, in a way stole our money, that, that begged us then to get them out of trouble, and lo and behold, they got it. And they got bonuses in the millions, and they never went to trial, let alone all those kind of things. That, that's the kind of thing that happens, Right? Those who have wronged us, those who have hurt us, those who have taken advantage of us, those who we think have gotten some, some unfair advantage, who've disregarded us, they, they become a them all of a sudden, right? They're just a nameless, they're, they're, they're a faceless, personless object of scorn. They're the personification of evil. That just kind of happens, right? It It happens. In relationships. 
Now, of course, you know, we are not guilty of things. And so James nails them. He nails them really, really hard. I don't know if there are harder words in all the New Testament than he he has for, for these rich. Weep and wail and mourn. Your day's about to arrive. Judgment's coming. It's not a pleasant message. But then James turns to all those nodding heads in the audience. The poor, right? And he says to them who are nodding in agreement with his, vindict- in his uh, condemnation of the rich and, and, and finding some pleasure in that, I think. And he says to them, uh, to these people who've suffered, some at the hands of the rich, be patient. Be patient. Wait, wait on the Lord. Wait on the coming of the Lord. Don't don't get caught up in grumbling against each other, against one another. The King King James Version, that word grumble, the King James Version translates it, don't hold a grudge against them. But endure suffering like Job. You know the story of Job, right? Job, Job is a, a, a godly man, righteous, and Satan comes in one day and says, you know, he, you think he's really great, but if you just let me tempt him a little bit, you let me take some of his blessing away, he'll curse you. And God says, no, that won't happen. And, and he says, okay, we'll go ahead and see. <laughs> Talk about unjust suffering. James calls up, calls up Job and says, like Job, endure suffering the injustice you suffered the wickedness even you have to endure the indifference and the callousness that seems to have become a way of life for you don't think for a minute don't think for a minute that the lord has forgotten you that he doesn't care for you or he's gone on vacation or worse abandoned you but don't take matters into your own hands Be patient. Wait patiently. Allow God to be God. I I think that's the the whole thing at the end of this chapter about uh, the prayer. You know, these are verses that we like to, to pull up and say, okay, we need to pray more, or here's an example of prayer. I I think it's a it's a corrective. In this whole divisive uh, chapter about relationships, pray. If anyone's sick, pray for them. Call the elders and pray for them. What's the hardest thing in the world to do? Pray for someone who's inflicted pain on you. Be patient. Allow God to be God. Thinking that, I was thinking this week about these verses and I thought about how hard it is to do what God has called us to do as His people. Especially when it comes to relationships. 
the people who have hurt us, the folks who have taken advantage of us. How hard that is. For example, Jesus said that we're to love our enemies. Don't just love people who love you. Everybody does that. But love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic as well. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without ex- expecting to get anything back. And, and here's the key, I think. Then, then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So if you love your enemies and you do good to those who persecute you, you will be known as children of God. Because God takes care of them just like He takes care of you. How hard is it to do something like that? It's, it's impossible, I think. Unless, unless we really trust God. It's impossible to do what God wants us to do unless we trust Him as He's revealed to us in Jesus. It's hard enough loving consistently the people who love us, or at least the ones we think that love us, but our enemies, those who've wronged us, Everyone knows, don't they, that that's foolishness. And it's inviting trouble. And it's a sign of weakness. We all know that if you don't stand up to bullies, if you don't bloody their nose a bit, you'll regret it. Any self-respecting person knows things like that, right? Everything in us, uh, think about that, love your enemies. Everything in us, right, rebels against that. Everything in us says there's absolutely no way that that's good for anything. There's no way that it works in any way. And, And the truth of the matter, I think, is that Jesus' words don't make much sense unless God is who He said He is. And unless God does or will do what He said He'll do. So James says, don't grumble. And I think you could probably add on, not that I'm not trying to add to Scripture, but I think you could probably throw in that category things like seeking revenge or continuing to love and do good to those who who, who love and do good to us. Don't, Don't continue to grumble against your brothers and sisters.
but be patient. Pray. Confess to one another so that there might be healing. Endure suffering. Keep going. You know, all those things are ultimately a matter of faith, aren't they? It's a matter of trusting that I, I am God's with all the implications of that on my best days and my worst days. And trusting that that other person is too. And trusting that God in compassion and love and mercy will in fact do what He said He would do with all of us. That it's up to Him to set all the injustice right. He's given us what we need to do, what He asks us to do. To continue to love. To show mercy. To offer forgiveness just like He has done for us. And when we step out in faith to do what He calls us to do in our relationships with people, To offer love and not hate. And forgiveness, not revenge. And mercy and compassion. To act in those things in our relationships with all those around us. Whether it's our spouse, whether it's our brothers and sisters, whether it's our friend who's wronged us terribly. To, to act in that way, I believe, is where we'll find the truth about God, that He is there. And He will give us what we need. So ultimately, the question this morning that, that I think all of us have to deal with is, do I really trust Him? You know, I would guess, I would guess in this room, most of us say we're Christians. We would claim that we follow Jesus. We would say that we're people of faith, but do we really trust Him? Do we trust Him enough that if we love those who have hurt us, that it'll be okay? Do we trust Him enough to deal with those who have treated us unjustly? who've used us, do we trust Him to be God and do what He says He will do? And I can't answer that for you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. And I thank You for these people. I thank You for this church. And I thank you, God, that you've connected all these folks in this place. <clears throat> but I really pray, Father, that, um, that in the days ahead, 
you'll cause uh, the through through your spirit you'll you'll open our eyes um, to the people around us and and particularly God those with whom um, things haven't been good um, those people that we find it hard to love. And I pray in the midst of that, Lord, you'll remind us, um, you'll remind us of how broken we are. And how you've loved us with an everlasting love, even when we were your enemies. I pray, Father, that you'll remind us to pray for them. to offer words of encouragement to them, to figure out how to love them better. Because we know that's what you want. I pray, Lord, that you'll um, move to bring reconciliation in places that need reconciliation and healing to hearts that need healing. I pray, Father, that you would help all of us. You would guide all of us into living the truth of who we are and who you are every day and how we relate to one another and those beyond this. And I pray this, God, that you might be glorified in all things. You might have a people for your own possession. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.